0: I'm really excited about this series because I think if we start putting this into practice, you're going to see some very real and remarkable changes in our lives as a result of it. And that's not just hyperbole. That's not me just trying to hype it up. I just think this is one of the areas in our life that we are really missing the mark, that we could all do a better job in. Uh, We all face conflict. Uh, some of you embrace it, some of you don't mind it, and some of you will do anything you can to avoid it. Um, There's a a quote by Gary Thomas. He wrote The Sacred Marriage, and uh, this is what he wrote about conflict inside of marriage. He said, Conflict is certain. The fact that there will be conflict in your marriage doesn't mean there's something wrong with your marriage. It means that your spouse is still alive. So just in case you were wondering, that's right. it, just, it just means that your spouse is still alive. There's going to be conflict. And it's not just marriage. I mean, we experience that, we see that, but it's in your families, it's in your work, it's with your friends even, you will have conflict. So how do you deal with it? How, how do you kind of work through it? Uh, we've shared in this series, there's kind of two extremes. There's the uh, attack mode that so many people go into, where you start blaming everybody else. Uh, you get mad about it. You go, kind of go on a rampage and, and put your foot down. And, yeah, that, and that leads to assault, even in extreme cases, right, where uh, there's fights and verbal assaults and physical assaults. You take it all the way to an extreme. That's why many murders happen, right? cause a conflict that gets escalated and escalated and escalated and it goes so that's the attack mentality then there's the, the escape mentality and the escape mentality is it, it may be as simple as denying that there's even a problem denying that there's even conflict so there's just the denial uh, but then uh, it, it kind of can go and and, and, and you know it, it, it can be the person just running away from the problem just physically escaping uh, it's what happens when you, you, you have a, 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 a fuss with your uh, spouse, and they go and just say, I'm done, I'm leaving, and they go to the other room, or they put their headphones in, or they just go on a drive, because they're escaping. That, that's the escape. Uh, you, you take that to an extreme, and that's the cause of many suicides, right? It, it's escaping from the pain, or at least they feel like that's what it's doing. So we see this, how we handle conflict, it can really have some pretty extreme uh, results based on how we do it. Um, And so I really, you know, want to just ask you, we have conflicts that pop up each and every week in our life. How do you deal with it? It's a struggle to know how you respond. So what happens uh, if you have a child that's bullied or made fun of? How do you respond? What happens uh, when you and your spouse get upset over something and you don't even remember or understand what the conflict is even about, how do you deal with it? What happens when you're treated unfairly at work and your coworker expects you to do all the work and you feel like you're being taken advantage of? What happens when you have a child that constantly, right, is doing the exact opposite of what you want them to? Oh, what happens when you have a neighbor who is always complaining and making accusations against you? I could go on and on and on, but the the reality is, for so many of us, we encounter things like this and we're confused because we don't know the best way forward. And so that's what I love about the Bible, um, is that it actually can it actually gives us a blueprint for how we handle situations like this, and. The reality is that there are times in our life where we must confront the problem, And, and I know conflict is real. I know it's painful, but here's what I want you to know this morning, that God wants you to use conflict not as a wedge to divide, but as a bridge to connect. And if you start viewing conflict that way, that it's a bridge to connect me with the other people. It's an opportunity, right, to, to grow in a deeper level of friendship. It's, it's an opportunity to work through the issues so we gain a better understanding of the other people around us. So let me kind of review real quick, bring us up to speed, and then we'll take off this morning. Uh, the first week we talked about the, the most important thing we can do is to get God involved. Just start asking, okay, how can I glorify God in this? Take it to God in prayer. Just start seeking His will um, and His wisdom to help us through the decisions we need to make. And as simple as that sounds, we so often don't do that. So the first step is to to take it to God. The second step is to really start taking responsibility for our part in the conflict. And I said, it doesn't even matter if you've contributed 2%. You're a hundred percent responsible for that two percent that you've contributed to the conflict. So you've got to take ownership. You've got to you've got to kind of you've got to get the log out of your own eye so that you can start uh, working on the next step, which is what we're going to talk about today. and it's how we gently engage uh, and actually confront the issue. Um, We've already acknowledged that some of the conflict that we face can simply be overlooked. But there are also times that we cannot overlook the problem. Uh, In the book, uh, this Resolving Everyday Conflict, this is what Ken Sandy said. He said, the Bible clearly says there are times when you need to address the other's shortcomings. Having confessed your own contribution to the conflict, helping others own their part is often your next step to making peace. And so it's really an act of love. It's an act of concern. It's an act of saying, okay, uh, there's a conflict here, and there may be a blind spot with this person that I'm in conflict with, and and I need to take the step to help them understand how we can move forward. Now, you can raise concerns, you can make suggestions. You can offer possible solutions. You can pray for that other person. But I want you to understand that only God can really move in that person's life to help them respond. I think sometimes we think we have to be the Holy Spirit for other people. We have to nag. We have to remind. We have to help And and I want you to to think about this. We can take the first step, but we need to trust God to to actually move. And here's the the point I kind of want to lead off with this morning is if we confront with grace, uh, if we confront conflict with grace, that's when it can lead to restoration and reconciliation. But it's going to take some grace. It's going to take some love. It's going to take some patience, some long suffering. Uh, There's a verse that Paul... uh, shares to the church of Galatia in, in chapter 6. And uh, I just want to share it with you because uh, this, is, this is really the, the, the blueprint I want to share with you today. Uh, and he, this is what Paul says about how we lovingly share this grace. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently. Uh, can you just say that with me? So, should what? Gently right, so gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Uh, this This is so simple, yet how often are we afraid to do this? Right. He starts off and says, brothers and sisters, or the beloved, or the believers, and, and depending on how it's translated. But what he is sharing here, he is speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ, to uh, fellow believers. Um, and so he's saying here, right? If, if another person in your fellowship, in your uh, circle of friends, if another believer, right, is overcome by sin, you have a responsibility to step in and do something about it. It's not just like you should or maybe you could or if the opportunity presents itself. No, you who are godly should and then he says how, you do it gently, you do it humbly, but you restore them gently. And when you look at that, that word, uh, you know, help or restore, it really means to mend, to repair, to equip, to complete. And what this is all about is how do we make that person useful again? It's how we help them back to the place where they need to be, where God can continue to use them. And and so our goal is to help mend broken people. Our, Our goal is to help put the pieces back together so God can continue to use them. So when we confront people because of sin or because of conflict, it's not to tear them down. It's not to win an argument. It's to help them, right, be reconnected to the purpose and meaning that God has for them. John Stott said this. He said, one of the reasons why only spiritual Christians should attempt the ministry of restoration is that only the spiritual are gentle. And, and the point he's trying to make is, you know, if, if you feel like it's your life mission to go and point out everyone else's problem, you're not the right person to do it if you're not gentle, if you're not loving, then you're not really called to restore broken people. Uh, And I know what you, you know, and I know the the most common objection to this is, but who am I to point out sin in someone else, right? That's judging. Why would, I, I don't, the Bible, Matthew 7 says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Who am I to tell anyone else what's Sin and what's not sin, and I just need to mind my own business. That is the message that the world wants you uh, to, to to hear, because they don't want to be confronted about sin. Uh, that's the message of postmodernism, right? You can't tell me what to believe. I get to determine that truth for myself. And so I, I, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit because we can't use Matthew seven here as an excuse to never confront someone. And I know we can't force our opinions on others, but we do have a responsibility to encourage other believers. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about encouraging others, but it also talks a lot about exhorting others. Have you ever stopped to think of what the difference is between those two words? Exhorting and encouraging? Have Have you ever really stopped to think about that? Because I think sometimes we use them interchangeably, but they're, they're, they're really two different words. If you look up the definition of exhort, it's to strongly encourage or to urge someone to do something. It's to give a warning or advice. It's to make an urgent appeal. And so it, the difference between exhortation and encouragement, exhortation, it's like a form of teaching. It encourages you to take steps to get to where you need to be. Encouragement is practicing telling other people what they're already good at doing. And so exhortation moves people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And encouragement is acknowledging where God is already at work. We need people who are exhorters in the church, who can see that where where someone is struggling to help them see that there's a path out, there's hope. And so many times, conflict is about a lack of hope. Uh, It's about frustration. It's about sin that has trapped them and got them in a place where they don't see a a way out. And an exhorter will come in and say, here's how you can make a change in your life. And so um, we talked, uh, you know... uh, last week about this, that once we examine ourselves, once we check our motives, once we check our pride, then we can move forward and help others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, this is what he said. He said, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to a sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. This goes against our modern way of thinking. We don't like this. We don't want to rebuke. We don't want to exhort. But that's the compassionate thing to do when sin has a hold on somebody. When there's a conflict and you've already looked at your part in it and you see that someone else is is in the wrong here, it's compassionate to reach out and help them back onto the right path. Uh, Tim Keller said this, he said, we won't be able to winsomely confront someone if we think we are not capable of similar or equal sin. If we do feel we are above the person, our air of superiority will come through and we will destroy instead of restore. And so I think this, when we really step back, you know, Paul says we sit gently and humbly, right? This is what Keller is saying here. He's saying, Okay, we've got to be able to stand in a place and say, we're not better than you, uh, but we want to walk with you. If you simply, I mean, we, sh- we should be able in any conflict to look and say, I mean, if we would be able to look at it and say, that could be me. I could, uh, that really, I could see how that could happen to me. I could see how I could think that. I could see how I could feel that. If you're not to that place, then you've got to be very careful because you're going guns blazing, right? ready to shoot down and point out everything wrong. And so we've got to kind of step back and think about how we can be gentle and, and humble. And if you're still saying, well, Mike, it's not my responsibility. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. He, he says it this way. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. But it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. So the way Paul frames this, it's not our responsibility to go out on the street corner and point out everything wrong with everybody that walks by. Right? I mean, if if that's our view uh, of reconciliation, is to start going to everybody and telling them what they're doing wrong, then we've missed the whole point. But when it comes to people who you are connected with, right, uh, it comes to people who are inside of our church, we have the responsibility to point out sin and to help point them back to God. Now, does that make anybody else uncomfortable? (laughs) Right? You're like, but that's not... I'm, I'm showing you what the Bible says here, right? And I know there's a danger in it because if you think you're the sheriff that has to fix everyone else's problems, it's not going to go well. Uh, this is what uh, Ken Sandy said. He says, we've all met people who are too eager to correct others. Although the Bible endorses constructive correction, it doesn't give license to go hunting for faults to correct. In fact, anyone eager to go and show others their sin probably isn't the right person for the job. Being over eager is a sign of emotional and spiritual uh, immaturity, and it cripples our ability to effectively help others. When Paul says to restore a sinner gently, he says, "Watch out so that you will not be tempted." And he goes on to say, you know, we're at this risk of falling into the same sin that affects others. So we, uh, we can't go into it with this, uh, this air of superiority, this self-righteousness. Uh, the best people to bring correction are usually those who prefer not to talk to others about sin, but who do it out of obedience to God and their concern for each other. So our goal is not to confront Our goal is not to condemn. Our goal is to redeem and to restore. And so if we go into it with a heart of love, right? And I would even say you either go in love to another person when it gets to that point where you have to confront or you don't go at all. If you cannot go in love, then you have no business going to them. Um, And so uh, how do we know then how, when something's bad enough where we've got to go. He kind of gives a few points here, and I I think these were good. He's like, I need to go when a conflict damages my relationship with someone. So when do we confront? When do we go and gently engage with the other person? When and if a conflict damages my relationship with someone. And that means that when you've gotten to that point where bitterness, uh, where frustration, where resentment starts building up, where you're having a tough time forgiving, and you, and and it just, it's just, you see uh, there's a wedge that's been driven into your relationship. Then you need to go and confront. You need to go uh, and confront when a conflict is hurting other people. When you see that their actions are affecting the other people around them, that's when you need to step in. You need to go uh, when a conflict is hurting this, the person, the, hurting the offender, right? Um, and you see this with addictions. You see this with uh, relationship problems that just keep burning bridges in their life. Uh, you, you need to go when a conflict is significantly dishonoring God. This is why I think Paul says it's so important to confront sin in the church, because when people continue to sin and sin publicly and flaunt it, right, it's, it, it's not only damaging to them, it's damaging to, uh, to, to really to the, the cause of Jesus. It destroys our witness. When people see us living in a way that dishonors God, and they're like, aren't they going to that church? Aren't they involved in that church? Aren't they a leader in that church? And yet they're living like this? There, there's, a, there, there's a dissonance there, right? People see that and, and they can't make sense of it. And, and they like, well, they're no different than us. And what it does, it's like if God is really, you know, if God really changes people, they're not changed. They're living like the world. There's a problem there. This is why it's so important. We're set apart. We're holy. We're different than the world around us. And so God is calling us to a different way of life. Now, if it doesn't meet those, those conditions, then we probably just need to overlook it. If it's not damaging themselves, if it's not dishonoring God, if it's just a personality difference, a personality conflict, then, hey, then it may be time just to overlook it and, and just kind of keep going. We've talked about choosing our battles a little bit. But that kind of brings me to the next point. If it is significant enough, what do we do? Well, the Bible is very clear, uh, and you may be surprised, but the biblical way to handle conflict is to go and talk to the other person. Notice I didn't say the biblical way to handle conflict is to post on Facebook. It's not to pick up the phone and talk to all your friends about it. It's not to call the reader's hotline in the Gazette just to put some passive-aggressive comment and let everybody in town know how upset you are. It's not to send off a nasty text message or an email to whoever you're mad about. All right. It's not to ghost the other person and act like they don't exist. What, no, the biblical way to handle it is to go and talk to the other person. Well, wow, I mean, that how revolutionary is that? We actually have to talk to people? I mean, think about this. This is this is crazy because this is what we're losing in our society today, this ability to go and have a civil conversation with someone who you disagree with. Matthew 18 says this. This is kind of the this is such a, a powerful passage here in Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go... What's the word? next word? Privately. Facebook is not private, just so you know. And point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Now, there are difficult times when a conflict has to be approached head on and Jesus doesn't say, okay, this, try this and see if it works. He doesn't say, this is my suggestion. He says, go privately point out the offense. This is a command, right? This is how we handle conflict. And so, I would say, too, if you notice what Paul said in Galatians, it's true here. He said, if another believer. And so what we're seeing, there's a standard attached for people who are believers and not believers. Um, And so we do handle things differently with people outside of the church. We do handle things differently with people who don't know God. Uh, It does take a little more It does take a little more time, a relationship building sometimes to deal with people who don't know Jesus, because not only are we trying to resolve the conflict, we're trying to bring them back to God in the process. But for another believer, you go privately and you point out the offense. The basic principle here is you keep it as private as possible for as long as possible. When you look at Matthew 18, that's what he's trying to do here. Uh, he's not telling us to go and approach strangers uh, and tell them about everything they're doing wrong. He's like, no, there's a, co- there's a commitment because there's a relationship here. And when there is a relationship, then then you keep it as private as possible for as long as possible. So if you have a problem with someone, I'm going to tell you flat out, you never share concerns. You never confront using email or text. Never. Just go. I know it's convenient. You're like, I'm just going to shoot this email and say, here's the problem. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what you need to fix. Don't do it. It's going to blow back on you. And, because, and and the biggest reason why is people are not, when they read something, they're reading into it. You're not there. So they're assuming the context. They're consuming what, they're, they're assuming what you're thinking. So, um, when they read it, right, they're saying, well, they're kind of, they have a picture of you in your mind and how you're saying it that may not reflect reality. So if you need to confront what Jesus would say, what I would say is you only do it in person. Do it over lunch. Do it, uh, uh, you know, do it somewhere where you can, you know, a very place where you can be relaxed. Right, but you go and do it. Uh, Luke 17 says this. says, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there's repentance, you can forgive. There's this process here. uh, Again, if another believer, uh, if uh, if a brother or sister in Christ, we have this process, we have this command to confront, and we confront in love. And that means we don't assume their motives. Uh, We judge other people so often based on what we say or do and we base we, we judge them based on what we think their motives are we assume their motives we assume what well they're doing they're just doing this to get back at this because of this and we build this whole scenario you've got to be able to step back and say it you've got to be able to go into a situation and say let me understand let me hear your point let me let me listen Uh, You have to be able to go into it and and bring hope. And, and, And this is such a big deal, right? And that Jesus says, if you're at church, if you're at the altar and you realize that someone else is mad at you, you need to go and fix it. You need to drop everything and go and fix it. Matthew 5. Um, says this it says if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you leave your sacrifice there at the altar go and be reconciled to that person then come back and offer your sacrifice to God this is how important seeking peace is it gives you that clear conscience now, I, 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 I'm not going to lie and say this is easy. This is some of the hardest stuff we'll ever do in life. And I will say, though, as you do it, it's like a muscle. As you exercise that muscle, it's going to get stronger and it's going to get easier. It's going to be better as you start learning how to do this in love. Um, in the book, he, kinda, uh, he, he gives uh, a, a technique here. Uh, it's actually in the Peacemaker book, the longer book. But he gives a technique he calls the pause technique for handling conflict. I just want to share this, uh, uh, this acrostic with you uh, just to help you understand. This is like he says, if you go, someone has wronged you, you need to go. Here's the steps to do it. First, the P is to prepare. You need to go with a plan. You need to carefully plan your words. Our goal is not to condemn people, but to lift them up, to give them hope. So you prepare don't just go and say and you're going to say something stupid that you'll regret i guarantee it. the a is affirm the relationship uh if we talk to someone and say you know i really value our friendship i really know i appreciate this in you this is what i see in you i you start affirming them if you guys know this and uh you know this this works in marriage too by the way uh but if you just go in guns blazing, go with blasting, uh, just kind of the verbal machine gun, you're not going to get the result. People just are automatically going to be defensive. So you affirm the relationship. The you is you understand the other's interest, right? You understand the interest. Um, so... This is where you listen. You don't assume. You start seeing it from their perspective. You start asking questions. Help me to understand uh, why you feel this way. Or uh, can you share with me what you've been feeling or experiencing? Uh, you listen. You understand. Then the S is you search for creative solutions. Um, you, you go and say, okay, well, how can we move forward? What can we do? This is the kind of the brainstorming. Uh, part of it. You, you, you search for a creative solution. The E is you evaluate the options and then you determine what to do. You evaluate, you evaluate them objectively. You, you kind of look and, and just say, okay, this is what we're going to do moving forward. This is how, this is the, the way forward. Now, um, John Piper, this is what he said uh, about kind of resolving conflict. He said, so the criteria is how serious is the sin and how am I spiritually equipped And you can go in there and try to speak in a way that wouldn't feel condemning. You may have to get tough later, but at first you want to win them. You want to create a bubble of grace. I love that. You want to create a bubble of grace in which they feel some hope. And even though this is sin, that they are loved and they are accepted. Another criterion would be how close is your relationship? Are there other people in this person's life? Uh, And he talks about there may be someone else. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a friend that's in a better position than you to go and talk to them about this issue. And so when you go in, these are difficult conversations because there's really two things at play. There, one, there's a resolution of the issue. Whatever the conflict is, you're looking to resolve that, but there's also a restoration, a reconciliation of the relationship. And so you're trying to fix the problem, but you're also trying to restore the relationship. And these two things, right, are what we're working towards in conflict. James says it this way, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring the forgiveness of many sins. This is throughout Scripture that we have this responsibility uh, in the body of Christ to help others who are struggling. If you you had a friend that was drowning in a lake, you wouldn't just stand there and say, oh, I hope he gets out. Well, good luck. I'm going to keep going. No. You're gonna do everything you can to save that person. And we have friends and family all around us who are drowning in sin, who are struggling, and we're so afraid of being being thought of as judgmental that we won't even throw them a lifeline. We won't even throw them the, the life preserver. We won't jump in to help them because we don't want people to think uh, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We don't want someone to, to think that we're being judgmental. Do you see the problem? And that kind of brings me to this next point. It's not always going to go well. It's not always going to be well-received. So in those cases, you don't be afraid to get help. I would love to say, if you follow this, every time it's going to fix the problem, you're going to hug. I mean, that's kind of the Hollywood sitcom model. You've got 30 minutes to, to pose the conflict. I mean, and I, this is how a TV shows work. There's a conflict you know, everybody gets mad at each other, and then there's a solution, they hug, and we're in 30 minutes time, it's all fixed, every single episode, every drama on TV, every sitcom, real life doesn't work that way, real life, sometimes people will not respond, and that's why Matthew 18, uh, after it says, uh, you know, you go to that person and talk, and then verse 16, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, then you take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or as a corrupt tax collector. Now, as a pastor, a lot of times I get email messages, phone calls, Hey, so-and-so did this, so-and-so said this, um, can you help me? And I'm just going gonna, gonna to save you some time right now. If you call me within, within any type of a conflict or an issue, my very first question is going to be, guess what it's going to be? Have you gone and talked to that person yet? If your answer is no, there's nothing I can do to help you. That's the first step each and every time. Because that's the biblical model. If you go and you talk to them and it doesn't help, then yes, I will try to mediate. I will try to help. I will try to get the people in your life that are close to the situation in a position where they can help. But the first step every time is to go and and talk to that person. And so many times like, oh, it won't go well. I know it won't. So I don't want to even do that. No, The first step is to go and talk. Then, if it doesn't go well, that's when you bring other people. Again, keep it as private as possible for as long as possible. So the point of bringing witnesses isn't to gang up on them. It's not to beat them up. It's to calm the situation. It's to clarify the situation. It's to help them to see clearly that there really is a problem. And this is not just my opinion. That's the goal of this. And so, we show how the scripture applies. And then that leads me to, to this next point that we've got to recognize our limits and understand that you can do everything right and this conflict is still not resolved. This is a frustrating part, right? Whenever you try to show someone their fault, there are limits to what you can accomplish. Now, Romans says this never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can, which suggests that there are times that you can do everything you can and there still won't be peace. Do all that you can. Um, reconciliation is not possible if all parties don't want it. And I'll just tell you, I, I would love to say that as we follow this process here at the church over, over the years, that it, it always has worked. Often the other person, and, and as soon as they're confronted with sin, they go into the attack mode or the escape mode. They deny it or they start blaming everyone else. That's the, that's the typical response from a lot of people. I didn't do that. I only did that because you did this, and it's their fault. It's not my fault. Or what are you talking about? That's not an issue. I don't have a problem. So we do all that we can, but we have to realize that we can only do so much. Uh, 2 Timothy tells us this, Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, be patient with difficult people, gently, there's that word again, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Then perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap, for they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So if we do everything that we can, then we have to be able to turn it over to God and say, God, it's up to you now. You're the one that's got to change their heart, change their mind. We're going to be gentle. We're going to be humble. We're going to be patient. We're going to wait on them. When they finally do turn back, we're going to be there with open, loving arms. That's the story of the prodigal son, right? And just as a sneak peek, that's our next sermon series after this, and I'm already getting excited about it. So, I mean, this is, this is the love that we see in Scripture, It's my job to gently instruct, but it's God's job and God's alone to change the other person. And so uh, this morning, here's what I want to close with. I've talked this whole time about how we give correction. Can I close with saying how do we receive it? There are going to be times in your life when someone comes to you and points out something that needs correcting in your life. I, I'm going to tell you right now when that happens. I don't know of anybody that, that hears that and says, oh my goodness, thank you for telling me that. I just love to know that I've messed up. This, I mean, this, if, if you're that way, you're weird. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> the reality is when someone comes to us and points out something that we need to correct, I want you to be on guard because your first response is going to be to deny it. Or to blame someone else. Neither one of those is biblical. You receive it. I've learned this over the years. If someone loves Jesus and they love me, then I need to listen. They love Jesus, they love me. Now, if they love Jesus and they just want to tear me apart, then you know what? They can say anything they want and I'm just going to blow it off. (laughs) But if they love Jesus and they care about me, then i'm going i need to, to listen to what they have to say even if i don't necessarily agree with it I need to listen to it. I need to take it in. I need to pray over it. I need to examine it. I need to repent of those things that need repenting of. I need to confess those things that need confessing. And then I need to work towards reconciliation and restoration with the person who came and shared that with me. But the reality is if they are coming to you to do something that's so uncomfortable, they're doing it out of love. We need to recognize that. And we need to be thankful for those people in our life that love us enough to point out the areas in our life where we are dishonoring God, where we're causing harm to our relationships. And so I just want to challenge you a little bit, right? That God knows what's going on. God knows our motives. He sees our hearts. And no matter how good we think we are, none of us have really met God's standard of perfection. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have let other people down at points in our life. And when we acknowledge that, that's when we can find forgiveness. It's how we can find healing. It's how we can find restoration. And so I want to challenge us. Will we be a people of grace who lovingly encourage and exhort others, but people who also receive that correction with love? It's not easy. It's one of the hardest things we'll do, but it shows maturity. It shows that you're walking with Jesus. So with that, let's pray as we close today. Heavenly Father, as we walk with you, our prayer is that our lives would reflect Jesus. When people look at us and see us, that they would see a reflection of Jesus and how He loved and how He lived and how He led others. So Heavenly Father, I pray that as a church that we would be known as people who are like Jesus, people who follow Jesus, people who just are unmistakably followers of Christ. And so, Heavenly Father, today as we've opened up your word again to to talk about something that's so difficult and hard to do, my prayer is that for us, we would be able to lovingly and gently engage with other people when there's conflict. Not be harsh, not be unloving, not be rude or boastful or arrogant, but we would humbly and gently be able to, to show people what it means to follow Jesus. So that means there are times, Lord, that we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. There are those times where we have to, to go to someone and, and talk about things that make us uncomfortable. But would, would you give us the strength to do that? And not only would you give us the strength to do that, would you give us the strength to receive those criticisms and those corrections when they come our way? Heavenly Father, this all starts when we acknowledge our own shortcoming, our own sinfulness, our own need for a Savior. And so if there's anybody here today, anybody listening online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior would right now in this moment be the time that they commit their life to you, that they put their trust and their faith in Jesus to save them. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for these people who are here today. And may we take this And leave and put it into practice in your strength and in your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.